In this episode, I talk with certified personal trainer and fitness nutrition specialist, Zach Rutledge, about how food and exercise can impact your mental health. We also talk about Zach's personal story, dealing with his own mental health, the gut-brain connection, and so much more. Hope you enjoy the show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy. And I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing Zach Rutledge, an ACE certified personal trainer, an ACE certified fitness nutrition specialist, and a certified brain health trainer through the Functional Aging Institute. He has a black belt in karate and has practiced yoga for almost a decade. He holds an MA from American University in Washington, D.C., and starts his licensed professional counseling grad program in January of 2022. Congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you and hear more about your story and get all of the details about mental health and nutrition and exercise. So first of all, I would love to hear about your journey to um, becoming a therapist and also what's your own personal mental health journey as well? Sure. So becoming a therapist was actually the long way around. This wasn't something that I dreamt of doing since I was a kid. So um, when I was a kid, I had a quote unquote normal childhood, right? It was very stable and nothing was out of the ordinary. There were no uh, capital T traumatic events. And um, looking back now that I have the insight, I could see that there were some depression issues going on. So um, I I would take things like breakups harder than most people. And uh, I just figured I was like a moody punk rocker, right? So I just, I just kind of blew it off a lot of the time. And it wasn't until the summer after high school, my best friend was killed. And I called it the perfect storm because of course that, you know, that happened. And of course that that's going to have a big impact on you. But it was also my karate school Uh, had closed down, which I had been in since I was 10 years old. All of my friends were leaving for college. (laughs) Yeah, all of my friends had left for college. And also, there tends to be, and I I don't like to speak in in generalities, but there tends to be, not a trend, but a a pattern where, let's just say quirks, like depression and OCD and things like that, tend to manifest in the late teens, early 20s. So I was right smack in all four of those things, right? So that pulled me down pretty hard. And I had tough time at the time, like differentiating between grief and depression. I thought it was just grief and grief is something completely different. Grief is something we have to go through. Okay. And, um, and there were moments of pure grief and it, and it's hard to describe this to people who haven't had depression, but the grief felt cleaner. And I know that sounds weird, but it felt like a cleaner cry. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Kind of weird. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And it was just something, I mean, you can't get around it, right? So that happened. And, um, you know, I, I tried going to college. I, I, um, I dropped out, except for like a music course or something, and uh, didn't go for about a year and a half. And I slowly kind of brick by brick built myself back up over the course of a decade. And after I, I don't know how in detail you want me to get, but after, you know, that journey and helping other people through my personal training and uh, all these other avenues that eventually, believe it or not, it was through my, um, not just the personal training, but the, the fitness nutrition specialist, I was meeting with people through Zoom and um, helping them, you know, we would, we would meet to talk about nutrition and we weren't talking about nutrition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. so, so that was the really the final thing that was like, you know what, I, I had just written this book and I was meeting with these clients quite a bit. And that was the, the final push to make this, uh, this major change. Yeah. I love that. And thank you so much for sharing your story. And I think you mentioned several very important points. First of all, you know, the difference between grief and depression. And I know I've mentioned on the show before that grief is the price of love. That mm. is what we all have to experience when we are in relationship with anyone, whether it's our friend or family, a loved one, having a loss of any kind that will result in grief. And then depression is this kind of sometimes longer, more amorphous, kind of dirtier pain uh, to kind of mm. piggyback off of what you were saying. And it can be more confusing in a way and sometimes not have the reasons that we, we know, you know, I'm feeling grief because someone died. I have a, a huge loss. And then sometimes with depression, it's not as easy to pinpoint where is this coming from? And I love that you mentioned when you were studying with um, your nutrition clients, like it was not necessarily about food and nutrition. And I see that every day with money and mental health. You know, people think that, oh, I'm just having a hard time at work or I'm just in a lot of debt. And we tend to have deeper significance related to these issues, but no one's really talking about the central issue. And, and that's because a lot of these topics are still so taboo, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I like that you say it's kind of um, hard to pinpoint. I mean, because I, I personally believe that there's not, well, I, I do mention in the book, there's not one flavor of depression. I went through a mm -hmm. bunch, I call it flavors or different colors, I actually felt yeah. like different color. A lot of yeah. time. Um, but I also believe that there's not one specific cause. So like when I was going through the grief, I was like, oh, well, my best friend just died. Of course I'm depressed. Or I just went through this horrible breakup. Of course I'm depressed. And it, it wasn't that. <laughs> now looking back, it wasn't that. And, you know, and it's funny the things you do. I was like, well, I haven't graduated college. So of course I'm depressed, right? So I figured, okay, so once I graduate college, then I'll feel whole. Well, maybe I figured out that, oh, I can graduate with honors. Maybe if I graduate with honors, then I'll feel whole. Did that. I was like, oh, well, maybe if I become a personal trainer, then I'll feel whole, right? And it wasn't until I turned the arrow the other way around. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> here's where, here's where the, the real work begins, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so important to do that internal work. And oftentimes people aren't even forced to do that kind of internal work until there is a dramatic or a traumatic event like a death, a breakup, and we're kind of forced 
to get out of autopilot and into, gosh, why am I still feeling this way again and again and again? And I feel like there are these times in your life where you just kind of realize like, I'm going through something hard and I have to do the inner work now to kind of solve that missing puzzle piece. And I'm not quite sure what that is. And I love, not love, but (laughs) I think it's interesting that you mentioned that you're kind of moving the goalpost for your happiness. Once I graduate college, I can be happy. Once I graduate with honors, I can be happy. Once I study nutrition, I can be happy. And I think that's such a common thing that so many people do is this kind of I'll be happy when syndrome. Oh, and, and, I, and I tried plenty of it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's tough when you realize you're kind of chasing these accomplishments for this sense of fulfillment and purpose. And then ultimately, if you still feel unfulfilled or depressed, then it requires, you know, kind of a deeper reflection. And that can be incredibly difficult. So what was that journey like for you? It's funny because... In a way, it started beforehand. I mean, as a teen, I didn't play a lot of organized sports, but I was like, well, once I get my black belt, then I'll really feel like I'm over. I, I guess you would say I was just, I was dysthymic, which is like this low level just depression. That's, I guess that's what we could call it if we were to um, pigeonhole it, which I, you know, I don't know if, if any type of depression is really that clean to have one title, but if we were mm-hmm. to call it that, maybe call it that. So I knew something felt a little off and I was like, okay, well, if I become a black belt, then maybe that'll be it. Um, and then I remember being in my early 20s and I played uh, CBGBs. And you probably don't know what that is, but that's, um, or your listeners may not know what that is, but that's like punk rock mecca. So that's like where the Ramones, Talking Heads, Blondie, television, that's where they all came up. So that was like a dream of mine my entire life was to play CBGBs, which is probably the size of your living room, by the way. It's very small. Yeah. And so we played it and I remember like, this is a lifelong goal and I'm opening for these bands that like I looked up to since I was a kid, we played it. And and I remember like sitting in the van being miserable and like I had accomplished like quite a bit at that point. I felt like anyway, I was signed to a record label and I was doing all this stuff. And I was like, man, and like, and it wasn't until I started actually working with clients and this is before the nutrition stuff, but I was working with um, personal training clients something about that and i and i don't know what it is something about that cracked me open it was developing these relationships with people and it was i don't know if it was so much reflective but maybe i started listening to my own advice i was giving people you know a lot of advice and um something about that and 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 it wasn't quite the arrow was pointed inward yet but it started to shift that way and that was what really you know that was the big accelerant i would say Yeah. Sharing with other people and connecting with others on a deeper level can sometimes put that mirror back to us. And we're kind of like, oh, whoa, I need to do some more work or I'm starting to see things in a different way. And so I'm so glad you had that journey. And and I'm so curious to talk to you more about your work as a physical trainer and a nutritionist. So there's so much talk about nutrition and physical health and exercise and I would just love to know kind of what is the link between nutrition, exercise, and mental health? Sure. Well, let's start with the the physical aspect, okay? So if you're lucky enough to be able-bodied, and I would argue that even people um, who are wheelchair-bound, they can still be doing some kind of exercise, right? So it's not like this is only for a certain type of people, right? Even if you have some pretty big disabilities, you can still get moving. You're going to get a lot of these benefits, okay? So this really doesn't exclude too, too many people. But first off, you're going to get a cognitive boost. And there have been some pretty big studies 
So the cognitive boost is nice, right? But then you're going to be, then, you know, you can be smart and depressed, right? So, <laughs> yeah. which, you know. so um, whenever you work out, people always talk about like the endorphin rush, right? However, those endorphins, they're too big to pass through the, the brain uh, body barrier. I'm sorry, the brain blood barrier. So that's actually not making its way into our brain, right? That's in our body and that's great. But there's actually a, a ton of other things going on. Now, these endorphins, they, they, um, they, they give us that sense of like well-being and also uh, kills pain. Okay, so in case people don't know that. Now, um, this is going to sound weird, but your body actually makes cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. You actually make cannabinoids, okay? And what that does is it creates this, um, not so much the well-being, but it's that anti-anxiety. Slightly different, right? But you actually create more of those cannabinoids when you're working out. You also get a boost in your serotonin and norepinephrine, which, of course, that's great, right? And remember that because I'm going to come back to that when we start talking about the diet, okay? And also, when we start moving our muscles, okay? Now, this isn't like our endocrine system or anything. This is actually our muscles. They secrete myokines when they're um, contracting. So it's pretty cool. So there's a lot of things going on there. Now, that's just the science, right? So if we get to the practical, this was another big point for me, okay? So I was, to put things into perspective, and um, I'm 5'9 and 170 pounds right now, which is nothing, right? It's nothing to talk about, whatever. So at the time, I was 5'9 and 124 pounds, okay? So I was almost 50 pounds lighter, right? And when I say at the time, I mean I'm in my deepest depression, right? Mm -hmm. So if I got sick, there was nowhere for me to go. And I was getting, you know colds that just would not go away. Mm, yeah. So, um, cut to, I started playing in a band where the guys were really into working out. And I, being in shape was something I just kind of, it was a byproduct of doing so many martial arts, right? And the karate school had closed. So I started lifting weights just for the sake of lifting weights. So I was 124 pounds. Then I was 135 pounds. Then I was 145 pounds. I was like, wait a minute. It wasn't just the building the muscle. And it wasn't just seeing that I could control something, which was also amazing. It was the fun of learning all these things and the fun of getting into something new. So it was, had this like kind of magical uh, like compound effect where all these things were happening. I was like, man, I can like, if I can control this, if I can get out of this, right? If I can change this, then who knows what else I can do, right? Because I thought I was just going to be stuck being skin and bones my whole life, right? Because that's just the side, that's what my body wants to be. Naturally, it just wants to be very skinny. So cut to the nutrition stuff. So remember, I was talking about the serotonin. Well, we actually create the vast majority of, of our serotonin in our gut and not mm-hmm. in our brain. Yeah. So a, pretty wild, right? You, you wouldn't think that. So it's funny how, like, how science is going back to like, uh, like we're this one organism, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not so much all separated like it's like we're kind of we're all this one thing which is pretty cool so there are doctors out there who are actually giving believe it or not and it sounds like i'm making this up and i'm not they're giving probiotics in order to help fight depression mm-hmm. crazy right to, to help balance out these this serotonin issue again i don't think there's one cause for depression i come at it from i call it the d-day approach which is kind of morbid when you think about it but but what i meant by it was like we're coming at it from a bunch of different angles maybe i'll change that all right so (laughs) so um 
some people also they attribute depression to chronic inflammation. Again, I don't think it's going to be the only thing, but it certainly can be a contributor. So whenever I'm talking to people about their diet, when if they, if they're if they are going through some rough things, I I tend to point them towards a modified uh, Mediterranean diet or a low, just a general low inflammation diet, because um, I mean th- these are these are mostly healthy foods, but I should pull back a little bit because of course a lot of people have um insensitivities and or i'm sorry intolerances and um allergies things like that so i do recommend before i get ahead of myself i do recommend the first thing when we're talking about nutrition is for people to get an allergy test and um, people can't see me but i'm pointing to my back you can see me because they tend to do uh they put like it sounds worse than it is they do all these pinpricks on your back on like a grid (laughs) Oh wow! <laughs> and each pinprick, like, represents what it is they're testing for, right? But super, super, super helpful. Like, we can see: is it wheat, or is it gluten itself, or is it whatever it is? And you know, so that's why I say the modified um, Mediterranean diet because you can kind of almost like building blocks, right? You can take out the things that maybe bother you and throw in some other things, right? So that's where I always start: is we want to get that inflammation down. You know, I think you brought up so many great points and I agree with you that depression can have so many different causes. Like I know that I've had situational depression. I've had chemical depression that has required antidepressants. Mm. And just this past year did I really dive into the science between the gut brain connection and learned that 90% of serotonin is created in the gut. And then I learned that Depression can also be inflammation in the brain, which was just like mind blowing for me to understand, but it totally made sense when I thought about it. And um, just going back to the exercise a little bit, just want to share my personal story very quickly. Like I was always like, I'm not an exercise person. You can just see me in the arts and music section of life. Like I'm good. (laughs) Like I hate exercise. Like I think it's awful. And what I realized is I just hadn't found something that I liked yet. And so I think sometimes we say that, oh, I'm just not an exercise person. And it's like, actually, I just hadn't found what I liked. And what I realized is like a lot of my friends were like, let's do yoga. It's chill. It's relaxed. Like you think in theory that would be good for a depressed and anxious person like myself. But actually, I just felt like my brain was at odds with my body because I was just like overthinking and whatever. And what Mm. I realized is two and a half years ago, I took a six week boxing challenge. And I was like, this is the most un-me thing I could possibly imagine doing. Like boxing seems violent and very testosterone driven and like, sounds like so weird and out of my comfort zone. But I was like, I feel like I need to get out of my comfort zone. And quite frankly, at the time, I had a lot of pent up anger and resentment that I needed to get out. And so I was like, you know what? Hitting some shit sounds sounds really fun. So like, let's just try this for six weeks and just get through the six weeks. And if I like it, great. If I don't, then I did it for six weeks and I can move on with my life. I completely fell in love. And I've been boxing ever since, you know, minus parts of COVID, but I love boxing and I realized like I personally needed something very high intensity and something that can help channel my emotions outwards and really just like have that kind of body brain connection where it's really intense. It's really focused to the point where I feel so much better afterwards. And what I do to this day is I track my mood before boxing on a scale from one to 10. Like today, I'll be honest, I was not in a great mood this morning. I was like at a two. My mental health was kind of bad because of 
a bunch of deadlines and all this other stuff. And then after boxing, it was a four. And I'm like, that was great. And then some days it's been like a two to a seven. It really just depends on the day. But like I've tracked every time. And even if on my lowest day, it'll still go up by one point. And so I'm like, you know what? I always feel better when I exercise and me tracking kind of like you track your finances and, and your budgeting. I notice I feel better at least by one point. And so for me, boxing has been part of my you know, tool to manage my mental health. I know it's something that can make me feel at least a little bit better. Obviously, it's not a clinical cure for depression, anxiety, all that stuff. But what I've realized in nearly half of my life struggling with mental health issues is like you have to have a big toolbox of different, you know, modalities to kind of help. And so it's like the boxing helped increase my mood two points. Actually eating increased another point. Uh, that happened just the Thank other you. week where Thank I was you. like yes. so hungry and I was like, oh my God, like I was at two because I was so starving. And then I ate and my mood automatically went to a four. And then I went to boxing and then it went up to a seven. And I was like, wow, I literally just ate and exercised and my mood went from a two to a seven. Like those are good things for me to realize. So, I mean, I think you brought up so many good points and for people listening, if you think you're not an exercise person, sometimes that's just a story that we tell ourselves and it's just that we haven't found the right thing for us. And it could be something that you think I would never do that because believe me, I would never think that I would be, you know, into boxing at all whatsoever, but it's just been such a good thing for me. And so, yeah. Mm, preach <laughs> on sister. I, I love everything you said. And um, yeah, like, I don't believe that there's a silver bullet cure for anything, for anything, you know, mental health wise anyway. And I love the whole the whole point system, which is why I try to come at it from all these different angles. I have a friend who um, he is really like crippling anxiety, and I eventually talked him into taking uh, some meds for it because he, he was in pretty bad shape. And yeah. he, you know, a couple months later, he's still calling me with a lot of issues. And I was like, dude, you, you still got to put in the work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but it did bring him from his two to his four or five, right? So all these things can add up. So now imagine if he started boxing or if he did his equivalent, you know, whatever he loved, maybe for him, it is yoga, right? And then he stayed on top of his diet, right? So I love this whole synergistic uh, approach. I I love everything you said. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, you know, since you, you know, mentioned the gut-brain connection, which has just been a huge kind of passion of mine this past year, I read this book called The Mind-Gut Connection, which unfortunately I'm forgetting the author's name at this point, but we'll have in the show notes. But it was all about the gut-brain connection and how our gut really is our second brain. There's the enteric nervous system, which is literally Mm -hmm. a whole second nervous system. So when you are having those kind of butterflies or those gut feelings, that's a real thing. Trust it. And what I found was that So many people with mental health issues like depression and anxiety had, um, you know, gut issues such as constipation or irritable bowel syndrome or diarrhea. I know we're going to get a little gross on the show, but this is the real stuff, people. But, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. and then vice versa. I've heard that people who were diagnosed with IBS would have higher instances of anxiety and depression. And so it became so clear to me that these things are bidirectional and that people who have mental health issues are more likely to have digestive issues and people who have digestive issues are more likely to suffer from mental health issues. And I've been on my own personal journey to kind of like 
heal my gut and heal my brain. Because once again, if I can figure out any tool that can help me, even just by one point, I want to make sure I'm doing that. And so I've been kind of leaning more towards low inflammation diet, trying to eat more fruits and vegetables, trying to limit the sugar. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about the gut brain connection. I know you mentioned a little bit earlier about creating serotonin. And, you know, I just talked a little bit about kind of the bi-directional way that it works, but I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts. Well, you stole my enteric system <laughs> answer. <laughs> um, I will say this. Another reason that we want to take that whole um, allergy test, it's not just the inflammation, right? But it's going to force you to kind of pay attention to what you're eating as well. Because I've had clients, and this, again, sounds weird because you don't expect it. But I've had clients where I told them to do that. And these are the clients who, you know, are sort of supposed to be talking about nutrition and talking about their families and all these things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I tell them, go get this allergy test done. And they kept a food journal for me. And that was all I said for that week. I was like, just, just keep a food journal. And we didn't make any changes. And I said, get this allergy test on. But because they were so much more aware, before they even got their results back, they were so much more aware of what they were eating, that their mood actually boosted because they were like making conscious decisions, right? I'm lucky enough to where I'm, the foods I eat, it's very apparent. So if I have a glass of milk, I know it's not going to end well. So like, I know my foods, where they fall. But if you're not quite sure, uh, and you know, there are quite a few people out there who are just so used to eating garbage and feeling like garbage, they don't know what's what. I've had people actually get upset stomachs after they had a salad because they're so used to eating these low fiber foods or um, chasing uh, like a sugar rush, right? And that's the only time they would feel you know, okay was after they had fast food because you're getting that salt and the fat and the sugar all at once. So that's what makes them feel good, right? But then invariably, you're going to crash and get low. But they actually felt like garbage after they had the good food, the good fuel, because it took a little, it takes some time for their body to adjust to that, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just, I mean, uh, of course, this is one of my passions, so I could go on and on about this. <laughs> but we don't, we don't have a whole lot of time. But yeah, I, I, I've ever again, I think everything you mentioned is just hits the nail on the head perfectly. Yeah. And I think you mentioned a good point. Like it's important to just even be aware of what foods might be causing us upset either in our stomach or even just our mood. I mean, that's why I really limited my drinking and stopped drinking for a large part of quarantine is I was like, I just don't feel good. And this is not good for my mental health. I'm really trying to work on my sugar intake because I will admit like after I stopped drinking, my sugar intake just went way up, which I've also read is quite common because alcohol is kind of like drinking sugar in a way. And so then of course I just like turn to the sweets. And so I have made a lot of progress, but sugar is still my weak point. And it's something that I'm trying to manage because I can tell that it obviously gives me that dopamine hit or whatever chemical hit that feels good. And then a little bit of energy because the sugar, but then I crash and then I kind of feel like, ugh. And so I am trying to kind of hack my body and get onto the nature's candy train, AKA fruit. Um, right. and, and actually like, it is amazing. The, the less actual added sugar I have, the sweeter fruit tastes and it tastes better. And so Isn't that, that has been, interesting, right? Yeah, that has been, and actually one of the, um, healthy hacks. Cause like, like I said, I love Ben and Jerry's. 
I can kill a pint in one evening and it's terrible for me because I feel sick for two days later. But one of the hacks that I have been kind of replacing that with is frozen banana, peanut butter, and cinnamon with a little bit of almond milk and chia seeds. And oh man, that's like a great fake ice cream. And so for me to like kind of find the healthier hacks so that, you know, if I get a Ben and Jerry's, it'll be once in a blue moon, but it's not like once a week or a couple times a week, but I'm still satisfying that craving, but in a healthier way. And so, yeah, it's been interesting. So since we're talking about, you know, kind of sugar and blood sugar and mood and also mental health, I wanted to talk about, you know, people like me who love sugar or people that are trying to eat healthier. Obviously, sometimes people fall into this shame and blame trap if they slip up and quote, eat bad. And I definitely do not want to demonize or vilify any kind of food because I am, you know, pro-intuitive eating and body positivity. This is absolutely not fat shaming at all whatsoever. But I'm just saying in regards to the foods that we choose to eat that we consciously know that for us, they are bad, but people enjoy them for whatever reason. You know, maybe that's just what they go to or that's just, you know, what they feel like. And so how can people find more forgiveness and compassion in their eating choices while also trying to stay healthy? So if they do have a little bit more than they should have, and they don't feel good afterwards, or they feel like, oh, I'm supposed to be on this, you know, um, eating plan with my trainer, my doctor, and I slipped up. But how can we prevent them from going on a spiral and to reset mentally? Right? Well, like you said, there's, there's a place for these quote, unquote, bad foods, right? There is a place for that in our lives. And I say this jokingly, but um, the ratio is correct. 85% of the time I eat clean, 15% 15% of the time I cheat like hell and that's pretty much every day. Right. But I, yeah. but you know, I should be more careful about the whole cheating thing because there is a place for it. There's a place for that in our lives. And if you're a cyclist, let's say you need that sugar, you need that sugar just to get through your workout. If you're out for a few hours riding your bike, you need the sugar. So that's not even, um, if you were out there, let's say riding, let's say 50 miles, uh, a lot of cyclists tend to do these longer distances. And you were to say to yourself, oh, I don't want this food. It's bad for me, right? I don't want this sugar. I don't want these gummy bears. That's, that's a popular one. That's actually going to end up hindering you. You're not going to be able to get, have the fuel to do that workout, right? So everything has its own place. So as far as forgiveness, and it's so funny. I work with a lot of um, people who are older than I am. These are like grown adults, and some of them are retired. And they are so hard on themselves. I have literally had to stop class and say, stop being a bully. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, you wouldn't talk that way to another person, but you're talking like that to yourself and you're a person. Stop being a bully, right? Yeah. For some, some reason we give ourselves a pass to beat ourselves up, but we're also people. So I have to yell at them and then they get all mad at me. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but it's true. I'm going to stand by that one, you know, stop being a bully. So yeah, of course we have to practice forgiveness and you're not going to feel great after you eat a a pile of stuff. So it's not like you have to beat yourself up on top of it, right? We're just looking at fuel here. You almost have to, and I understand this is hard for a lot of people, but maybe just because I'm used to it, I, I very much separate my emotions from my food. 
and and that goes to varying degrees depending on who you talk to right so i just kind of see this feel and once in a while it's like a, a fun thing right if it's a birthday i'll have some ice cream or something but yeah i think like just the whole concept of forgiveness um not that you have to forgive yourself for eating some junk food right but we tend to over beat ourselves up right for for certain things but we also when it comes to just depression in general we have to practice forgiveness for other people as well. And I'm veering off a little bit, but I feel like this is an important point. Um, when you're in a deep depression, people will say stupid things to you. The one that really got me was, oh, it could be worse. So oh, yeah. <laughs> it got me. And I was like, you mean it can be worse than this? I'm already at the bottom. It can be worse than this. And that's how I took it. And I think they were trying to say, you know, practice gratitude in their own way. That's what they were trying to say. What I wanted them to say was, it can be better, mm -hmm. right? But they just weren't there. So I had to practice forgiveness, right? And it took me a while because I was holding these grudges, carrying that around. And keep in mind, I'm carrying that around. They're not carrying this around. I'm carrying this around. And the thing was, they couldn't understand. They didn't understand because they couldn't understand. They weren't in my shoes. Even if, they have, if they're going through their own flavor of depression, they don't understand your exact specific situation, right? The only thing that I would say that is like the unifying factor in everyone's depression is we can all climb out of it. I firmly, firmly believe that if we start stacking up all these things that can gain us the one point or the two points, we can all get out of it. Because I don't want people going around thinking like, my depression is special. Mine's the one that can't be fixed, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you mentioned great points in regards to forgiveness and letting yourself go if you're you know, making choices that you may or may not feel great about afterwards. And then also forgiving other people that can be good for your own mental health and realizing that sometimes people are clumsy in the way that they say things, even though they may mean well, it's kind of like, ah, that didn't really help me. And I'm going to forgive you for, you know, not being able to meet me where I'm at right now either. And so those are such great points. And you know, I'm so curious because you are also a certified brain health trainer. I don't even know what that means. So I'm curious, what does that mean and how do you help people? Okay, so that's through the Functional Aging Institute. And I haven't had a chance to do a whole lot of it because I actually got it in May or June of 2020. So it was pretty much lockdown oh, wow. time, right? Yeah. So yeah, so I'm doing a pre I'm doing my first presentation on it like in person uh, next month. So that'll be pretty cool. Uh Essentially, what we're trying to do here is through um, whether it's physical activity, a lot of it is, is the combination of physical activity and some kind of brain challenge. Okay, let's put it that way, right? So what we're doing here is we're trying to build this cognitive reserve. So as we age, if we do lose some of these of our um, like the neural density, if we lose some mm -hmm. of it, we would already have so much of it, it's not going to matter, right? So there's that famous study with the nuns who they had all these amyloid plaques in their brains. They should have had dementia. They should have had Alzheimer's, but they didn't. They didn't, they didn't show any symptoms, you know? And, but here they are after they pass, we're looking at their brains and they have all these amyloid plaques. But it turns out they live this great lifestyle where they have their social support and they're still challenging themselves. They're still working. And their brain literally found ways around it, okay? So what we're trying to do here is we're creating these environments for ourselves. Now, I'm going to give you two things that I just I love right now. Number one, I think everybody should juggle. Oh, um, yeah. I was terrible at it, 
and now I can, I'm mediocre at it. So <laughs> everyone should juggle. Everyone has to be a beginner once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's great. My cat loves watching me juggle. <laughs> yeah, forever I can imagine. Watch it. Uh, kind of weird. Another one, and this is, this, you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck here. Have you ever heard of pickleball? Melanie. <laughs> End this what meeting early and go find a pickleball court. Okay, so pickleball, okay. it's like a cross between tennis and ping pong. So it's like smaller oh. tennis, but bigger ping pong. So mm -hmm. they literally just changed some tennis courts. They modified them and put in some pickleball courts like across the street from where I live. So I'm super stoked. Um, super, super great for your brain health. You're using these paddles. They're closer to paddles than rackets. And you basically, you're knocking around. It's almost like a wiffle ball. And it makes this really, really great sound. And so that can count as one of your physical activities, right? But it's also really, really good for brain health. I think the occipital lobe maybe it's really good for. I forget which lobe. They, they kind of like, you know. They draw it out in these maps, which, which <laughs> lobe these, these things are good for. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, get into pickleball. Oh, I love guys. that. Yeah, yeah it yeah. sounds so fun. I think that's so it's great all to the rave. be proactive. Yeah, it's all the rave in the, in the senior communities. They love it. So. <laughs> I love that. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise. And I wanted to end, end this interview and, and ask about what are your top recommendations for people who – or maybe struggling to manage their mental health and they want to use their body and their nutrition to help maximize their mood. Well, find something you love, right? So find something physical that you love. And I know we talked a lot about physical things and, and, and food and things like that. And they absolutely have their place, but there's, there's a myriad of things that, that go into this. Um, I will say it, it's, I joke that I wrote this book for the worst possible audience, for the worst possible sales, because my audience isn't going to go out and find help, right? So in a way, I wrote it as like mm -hmm. a gift. So people with depression are notorious for having problems getting started. If you love someone who's depressed, I have some really great advice. Have them come with you to a group class. So I know, Melanie, yoga wasn't your thing, but maybe say, hey, I'm nervous to go to this yoga class. Would you mind coming with me? That's going to make this depressed person uh, feel like they're doing you a favor. So that's a small win, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to get them in a situation where they're, they're getting active. And with yoga, you're going to have um, the social aspect. You're going to have a mental aspect. You're learning something new. Now, it doesn't have to be yoga. It can be a hit class. It can be a group, you know, a bar class, a Pilates class, whatever. Whatever you're into, right? It can be boxing, right? But have a friend, ask a friend to come with you, okay? Now, as far as if you are depressed, like I said, find something you love, but don't too, put too much pressure on yourself to find that silver bullet. Make those small, small changes. So I start every single morning with a tall glass. Well, I brush my teeth. And then I have mm -hmm. a tall glass of water. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the first way that I start every single morning. And I count that as a win. It's actually the first thing on my list. And I know I'm going to do it. But, okay, I know I'm going to do it. So I get my first win, right? So yeah. drink a tall glass of water. Then I have my breakfast with my, um, my supplements. And I do recommend certain supplements, but of course, talk to your doctor because, because there may be something that just doesn't sit right with whatever you're taking. Right. I mean, like, like for instance, um, if you're in the Northeast, a lot of us are really low on vitamin D because we just don't get enough sunlight. So I put vitamin D in there, which can affect, uh, mental health. I put uh, turmeric in there, which I'm a huge fan of. That's for the inflammation. But again, you got to check with your doctor, right? Just because, just to be safe. Um, so 
even just starting with that glass of water, a healthy breakfast, and getting those supplements in you, that's your win. And you're going to start each day like that. That's going to count as something. Maybe that'll take you from a one to a two. So write the things down on a piece of paper, like Melanie, right? Don't put it in your phone. Write it on a piece of paper every morning. <laughs> and then cross it off, and you'll feel good. You'll feel good about it. Yeah. So that's the very first thing I would do. And like I said, don't put too much pressure on, on the silver bullet. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And yeah, like I love to just wake up and have a glass of water to hydrate my brain because I know that we've been sleeping for hopefully eight or nine hours and we're naturally dehydrated after not having that, you know, water for all that time. And our brain is a lot of water and our body's a lot of water. So let's rehydrate and I make my bed. And it's like, that is a small win for me. It's like, hey, if I do nothing else the rest of the day, my bed's made and I had water. And then, yeah, try to keep you know, having that ball move forward. What's the next thing that I can do that'll make me feel good? And maybe that means also taking things off your schedule and letting go of pressure. I know we're getting back to everything opening up and going back outside and people may be packing their schedules again. It's totally okay to be like, I don't want to go back to all this and I want to do things that are in alignment with my values and my time. Mm -hmm. And so- um, I really appreciate you being on the show. Tell us a little bit more about your book and where people can find you. Sure. So the best way to get me is just to email me. I'm at ZachSRutledge at gmail.com. Ask me anything you want. Um, if anyone wants to shoot me an email, I'll send you a free chapter of the book just to see if it's, your, uh, if it's something that's going to resonate with you. And yeah, the book, um, it's available on Amazon. It's called the Official Depression Relief Playbook, and it's it is that it's you have to put in the work, like you said earlier. There are things to do, but these are all actionable things that are going to get you. Each chapter is going to get you, you know, a point ahead. So it's all these different aspects. Um, I'm going to say it was written for the 20 year old me, like the 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 mm-hmm. real depressed me, and mm-hmm. I think it's. I think it's just so valuable even just to have on somebody's nightstand, just having it there and giving them that hope. Right. And it's not just all like um, esoteric or like, or like, um, like research articles. It's not, it's not like um, the the correct words escaping me, but it's not just like academic, right. It's not just Mm -hmm. academic. It's, these are actionable things that anybody can do and anybody can understand. So uh, yeah, the book is awesome. Love that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been such a great conversation and I know the listeners will get so much out of it. So thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing your time and expertise. No, thank you so much. And, and I love everything you do. It's, it's a real honor being on here and, and I'm, I'm so glad you're doing it. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.